Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Maria Fujihara, founder and CEO at Sanai. Sanai is a decarbonization and intelligence platform that helps companies in carbon-intensive sectors account for their emissions and find decarbonization solutions. Sanai helps them replace existing operations with more sustainable solutions. I had long been looking forward to speaking with Maria and getting a better understanding of carbon markets and our journey in creating Sinai. Maria has always been interested in nature and doing whatever possible to coexist with it, something that may have come out of being raised by two forest engineers in Brazil. Prior to founding Sinai, she worked for a non-profit in the sustainable construction sector, but eventually knew she was driven to something more and was accepted into Singularity University at the NASA Research Park, where she learned all the skills needed to found a climate tech startup. This episode, Maria covers the ins and outs of carbon management and clarifies the, that carbon offset should only be used for a company's emission that cannot otherwise be reduced. But what are those companies and their main emissions? Maria explains that what drives most companies to reduce their footprints and which sectors are leading the charge. In doing so, she not only explains how Sinai works, but what she has learned as a founder along the way. Above all, Maria gives three main tips for two founders. Make sure you consider both the big pictures and the small details. Never give up and follow your gut. During the second part of the talk, Maria gives a few more specific tips for founders, specifically in her time at YC. She also gives recommendations on how to manage a good work-life balance, including a few good reads that might help. Maria, welcome to the show. Hi, Maria. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about your exciting adventure to decarbonize our economy with Snide Technology. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Guillaume. Thank you for having me here. 
So before we start, as a tradition on the show now, we like to get a, a 30 second intro about the company. So if you can uh, give 30 second intro about Sinai Technology, it would be fantastic. Yes. So Sinai Technologies is a decarbonization and intelligence platform. We help companies in carbon intensive sectors, which means the biggest polluters in the world, to account for their emissions and to find solutions for decarbonize. So actually trying to replace existing operations so they are able to actually transition. So we help them with those um, historical and future modeling on the environmental and the financial side. So let's start from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides building uh, Sinai technology? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? As I always ask, who is Maria? <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I guess I've, I'm, I've always been very passionate about the environment and and nature and planet Earth. I'm very passionate about all different types of beings, plants, animals, and humans. Um, and I think I just have always tried to understand how to co-create and how to live um, in harmony with all of those beings. So. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in a family of forest engineers. Both of my parents are forest engineers in Brazil, and they always are very passionate about plants. I mean, a lot, a lot about plants in, in my house growing up. Um, and I think that set up the ground very nicely for, you know, who I came to be. And I think this is so important, to be honest. Um, to teach kids very early, to be in con connection with the environment, to be connected to Earth, to, you know, be passionate about other beings, and not and this is not only plants and animals, of course. I, I mean, I think it's they are all part of the same. And I I don't know. I think I've always had this greater good as well, like um, how to help. Um, the the society overall and and not you know such on a on a selfless point of view so i started my career in working in the con sustainable construction industry um, but i've always worked uh, or i worked most of my career for a nonprofit. um so i've i've always been very interested in understanding yeah like how can i help the greater good the greater impact society overall um, and for me, money has always been just a consequence of my passion and, and my work. I have never done this because of money. Um, I think it's just, you know, again, like I said, a consequence of my, my good work and, and what I'm doing good for, for the planet. So I've always just really <laughs> follow my guts, my dreams, my passions, even though I'm very data driven and I love to see you know, results and, and how data can actually make a difference. I mean, we are a very data-driven platform. We we do a lot of math and, and calculate impact from an environmental perspective and financial perspective. But I do ponder the, that those data-driven decisions with guts, gut, gut decisions and, and feelings and dreams and passions because ultimately, um, it's not every single decision that can be data driven. We need to follow our, um, you, know, you know, things without having data. <laughs> and and I guess that's what took me here today, to be honest. And and from here to our next levels and our next uh, phases of growth, I think it's going to be a mix of both. Like continue to to trust my gut and and which pathways we should take, but also. Um, but now trying to do this with more data-driven um, decisions. I don't know. I mean, maybe I went too far, but this is kind. I think that's kind of how I see myself. <laughs> no, I think it's super, super interesting and uh, and very exciting. And we'll definitely dive into uh, into the the Sinai and the, the, the platform after that. So, but before that, like you already uncovered a bit uh, your story. Uh, I mean, you're from Brazil. Uh, you worked in, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, 
non-profit uh, prior to that, prior launching the, the company. So tell us maybe, you know, about those different, like, you know, work and life experience during that journey uh, that led to the, the, the starting the, the company that in a way gave you a, gave you an edge to, to start the company and be a, maybe a, a more successful or at least like a better prepared uh, CEO, uh, I would say. So do you have like maybe one or two gold nuggets of experience where really like helped you uh, to go to, to that, uh, that step? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm from Brazil originally and I moved to the U.S roughly six years ago to take a break <laughs> from my previous work. I, I came here literally, to, I, I started in San Diego, California. I, I needed a break from my previous life and I, I wanted, and again, like I said, just following my gut and my heart telling me, my heart was telling me to come to California and I just came. <laughs> so it was not nothing planned or like normally how people come to the US, right? They normally come through universities or jobs um, or sometimes it's just legal and, and try to figure it out. I guess I, I came to take a break and I wasn't really expecting to do anything here, to be fair. I was, I just needed to leave Brazil and just because I needed to, to know what was out there and, and to leave my bubble and my comfort, comfort zone. Um, and when I was in San Diego, I got accepted into this program. Okay. To be fair, I tried to apply to some jobs when I was there and I never got moved to any phases. Uh, so I guess world was already telling me like, you're not going to have a normal job after this. And the only thing that I applied to and I got accepted was this program in Singularity University, which was uh, at the time inside NASA headquarters here in the Bay Area in, in Moffett Field, which is Mountain View. And, and then I moved to, to the Bay Area to go through this program. And this was a mind blowing program where I learned how to use exponential technologies to solve climate change. That was the, the main reason of the program. And they kind of set you up to start businesses. So they, they teach you everything that is needed to, to start a business. And the main goal of the program is to actually start businesses. So that's how I started Sinai it was right after this program. I, and, and, and I think a lot of the ideas were matured during this program, but um, after the program, but of course it, it was, you know, basically based on my, my, my knowledge before that and where I thought the world was going. Um, during the program, I, I, we wanted to, I, I created a company that was about um, helping governments and cities to be more sustainable. And that was a mistake because I mean, super hard to sell to governments. And that was the, 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 the pivot time that I realized that I, I needed to tackle corporates. And then I changed and then I started Sinai. It was another company. Um, and, and I guess to reply to your question, you're saying, what were the things that helped me? Um, I guess is, I, I normally, I would say that basically three things. One is you have to zoom in and zoom out all the time because it doesn't matter just having a big vision and a big picture if you don't know exactly what you need to do tomorrow or what is the exact step-by-step -step for you to get there. So zooming in and zooming out is uh, a necessity for every founder to have like know all the details and the commas and the dots of your solution but also know what's going to happen in 10 and 20 years so you need to you need to have that layout pretty well and it's not it doesn't happen like this it's a process right you're going to have to zoom in and out many times until and you're going to have to continue to do this i still do this so much um forever basically um and then i think the second point is never give up um i got so many no's and so many like literally the carbon accounting space five years ago was nothing compared to what it is right now imagine 10 20 years ago it was even more nothing but um 
five years ago, I was pitching this to investors in, here in San Francisco and everybody was like, what is this about? No, no, you're crazy. I got some angel checks and that what kept me going. At the beginning, it's really like they believing in you more than anything. And now, like all of a sudden, two years since, you know, two years ago, the market caught really quickly and everybody knows what this is about. So I feel very lucky that I never gave up on what I thought it was going to be a huge market and and now and now history is proving it and 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 the last thing is the less is follow your gut because and, and this is going back to to how I see life I think you can use a lot of data to make decisions but if you don't trust yourself and your gut and you don't take some time off to reconnect to to those things that you don't have data to lay on um it, it's always going to be obvious your pathway always going to is always going to be very obvious so you mentioned that um, you're in the us you are taking this uh, this break out of uh, brazil uh, we know your roots and your attachment to to nature and to um, you know being immersed in this uh, you know family of uh, agroforestry engineers if you are, if i recall it uh, right but do you have like you know jumping into that uh, program at um, uh, singularity university in climate change do you have like any uh, specific moment that uh, you recall that uh, really was like this uh, haha moment where you say okay now i want to not just get a job or not just like uh, start a, a random company i really want <laughs> to do something for climate and, and climate change and and jump into this climate tech industry that uh, two years ago was also as you mentioned like the term was basically you know, discovered, I would say. Yeah, I, I do have it. And it's it's not going to be super inspiring, but I'll tell you because it's the truth. Um, the aha moment was when I was here in the US for a year. Uh, so I left, I had left, I did an international travel. I presented a paper in China because I got accepted into this um, this event in Hong Kong. So, so I came to the US in February, in June, I went to Hong Kong, and then I came back. And then at the end of that year, 2017, I had to make a decision, I was either going back to Brazil, because my visa was expiring, or I would stay and apply for a work visa in the US. And to apply for a work visa, my only option was to start a company and hire myself. So that was the aha moment. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I, I need to decide, do I, do I wanna go back, do I wanna stay? And to be fair, I, my first thing was, I wanna go back. And then I emailed my parents, I was like, hey, can you please give me money? I wanna buy my ticket back to Brazil, I'm done. I've been through all of this, this is great. I'm ready to go back and, and they both said no. They told me that um, I had come so far and and the only thing that they would pay for, I, but I, and I told them my only option besides this is to apply for a work visa. It's basically to start a company, hire myself and apply for my work visa. And they said, we'll pay for that. We're not paying for your ticket. That's to be fair. I know it's not super inspiring, but that's how it, it started. I, I had to start a company and I, I did it. I, I got a visa a month later. It was pretty fast and it was dur during Trump. Um, and, and, and I got an O one, which is, um, um, a very nice visa. <laughs> so before we start going to the details about, uh, Sinai, uh, would like to, to zoom out and kind of understand like the overall context that, uh, you guys with the company are surfing on. I mean, let's try to get your overview on the so-called, uh, decarbonization landscape today. And I'd like to start with maybe your insight regarding, uh, the type of sectors and industry which are the most in need uh, to deploy and use you know carbon intelligence uh, solution and having a, a path uh, to decarbonize their operation and maybe if you could also tell us like you know who are the main uh, players today in demand in demand of uh, carbon intelligence uh, solution uh, in general and you know if there is like uh, already a percentage that you can uh, see bit by bit that uh, you know companies are really taking a, a step towards that or it's really still like uh, the minority of uh, the, the economy in in general okay 
what's what was the first question <laughs> so the first question is really to understand a little bit like the uh you know decarbonization uh, landscape today i mean who okay. uh is uh really like looking and in need of that uh to get to your type of yeah. solution uh and what is the percentage that they represent today and what in a way are the motivation yeah okay so um just to take a step back before i answer this one um Carbon emissions is a way of quantifying environmental impact through anthropogenic impact, right? So humans are consuming natural resources, normally non-renewable sources that are um, that are impacting Earth in many ways. And one of the measurements that it's used is the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. I wanna make this very clear because there are other types of metrics to calculate environmental impact and they are just as important as this. Um, but our focus is greenhouse gases metrics, which are very complicated. It's not super simple to understand or um, anyway. I just wanted to, to, to highlight this because uh, it's important to, to differentiate that and to make it clear that there are many me metrics to calculate environmental impact. This is one of them. Um, so when um, basically greenhouse gases impact, they have been calculated for over 20 years, right? Kyoto Protocol was the first protocol that defined which are the greenhouse gases and how how to track them in the atmosphere and so on. Um, and companies have been doing this up to today, mostly for reporting reasons, meaning that are a bunch of investors that are asking for the data or that are governments that are asking for that data. And that data means what's your greenhouse gases impact and total number and how much you are emitting and and this is fine you know I, I think it's important to to report um, but I think the the big big changing point that we are seeing now in society is that reporting is not enough anymore only reporting is not enough of course it's important to know what has been your historical impact so you can better predict the future but you need to start taking action and taking action means um, committing to a reduction target and reducing and actually achieving that reduction target. And, and it's not just a generic reduction target uh, or I mean, if you want it to be generic, you're just going to have to own those claims and not make and not create, you know, empty claims or try to make it look better than it is. Uh, I think every company now needs to be very much aware about greenwashing and how, what are going to be the claims that they are going to really emphasize because the market now has more knowledge and hopefully this knowledge is going to increase over time. So they are going to be held accountable. Um, and what I'm saying with that is that are certain ways for defining a target and the one that we recommend the most is of course the science-based target way of defining it which means that are there are scientific pathways that they need to follow that are defined by industry standards and in this case is the science-based targets initiative and they say that for you, for a company to achieve a science-based target, they have to do it through decarbonization, which means they have to do it through emissions reductions. They cannot use carbon credits, carbon offsets, or carbon removals to claim that this is reduction. They actually have to transition from fossil fuels to renewables, and they actually have to invest in low carbon technologies. Um, so that, that, their future um, accounting and their future um, emissions reporting is actually reduced over time and not increasing because, you know, a company that is increasing emissions and compensating everything can have the same claim as a company that is reducing emissions and compensating everything. Both of these companies can say that they are neutralizing their emissions. That doesn't mean that they are reducing. So I think we need to be very careful with words and how we frame everything because there is a lot of confusion. Um, 
there were just recently a few a, a video about this in the public TV uh, commenting about car carbon offsets. Even though I I think that are a lot of truth to what you was told, I think we need to be very careful with how things are presented um, because there's also a lot of confusion and and not um, um, not clarity. So with that said, just to summarize. Companies now need to take action. They need to decarbonize. They need to define car um, carbon reduction targets that are science-based targets. They need to reduce emissions over time. They need to replace their existing dirty operations. And they need to compensate the remaining emissions. And this is the only moment that not only us, Sinai, but also the Science-Based Targets Initiative recommend to use carbon credits offsets or removals, which is do it for your remaining emissions while you are reducing over time and this is fine and we should do this um this is the right the right approach so i hope this is clear <laughs> or, or i think it's very clear i just would like to just clarify one uh, aspect of it uh, based on what you uh, you know just uh, share with us uh what i would uh, i mean what is the, the penetration rate i would say of uh, you know industries and and, and companies mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. solution like uh, yeah, like yeah. yours i mean you mentioned that uh, uh since uh, you know uh, many years they've been accounting for uh, all of the, the their emission um are they really like doing it or they were just like pulling some numbers out of uh, out of their heart? I mean, what is the, the real like if you look at the market as, as a whole, like what is the penetration rate of like really companies using technology like yours or others uh, carbon accounting uh, system? Um, I think that's that would be interesting to uh, see uh, how far we are in terms of, uh, of progress. And then uh, after that, uh, maybe you can share with us, like, you know, what are the, the challenges and, and opportunities uh, that you see to accelerate uh, that uh, adoption rate? Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, what are the, the, currently, the current regulation in place? And uh, is there something missing or what is blocking to really like uh, have all of this, uh, you know, solution or at least intelligence, intelligence to reduce and uh, go to that path uh, in place, you know? Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, so the industries that are taking action faster are normally the ones that are in regulated markets. So um, metals and mining, airlines, um, some industries are taking action because there is a lot of uh, customer pressure like consumer brands, right? So consumer products and anything from cosmetics up to food and beverage, for example, and, and this ends up impacting their entire value chain on, on the upstream side. Um, chemicals are definitely in, in regulated markets as well. Um, utilities, paper, pulp and paper, which is which falls under uh, materials. So anything the material sector, um, it varies. The regulations vary on, uh, on um, location based. Uh, so certain countries are looking into certain industries based on you know their 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 targets, their goals, and and their biggest impact. Like Brazil is very focused on agriculture, while um, Asia is very focused on manufacturing. Um, U.S. is definitely focused on energy um, because those are essentially the biggest sources of emissions for those countries, and 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 of course it it ends up being their biggest um, um, points of their economy as well. Um, and 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 on on the on the company level, I think there's leaders and laggards everywhere, right? And some companies have been doing this great, and they have you know, incorporated this analysis as the core of their organization. So they care about accuracy, they care about um, collaboration, which means this doesn't fall under a sustainability team only. They bring many teams to collaborate. Um, and and others don't others just care about a number and they don't care about where the number came from so that number can be highly inaccurate and they don't care and they are not gonna verify it and they're not gonna bring an auditor to it so this is i think where the really the rubber hits the road because if these companies are 
they simply don't care about which numbers they are using, we are fated to face a huge accounting issue, which means if now that, and this is something, this is a problem that is happening right now. So as countries start to define the policies for adopting the Paris Agreement, uh, so Brazil is doing right now, and there are many countries in the developing world that is doing right now, and the World Bank is leading some of those conversations. Um, they are doing top-down policy analysis. So, for example, Brazil is trying to define, they, they just launched their carbon markets under a presidential decree, which was an amazing accomplishment given the, the current government in Brazil. Um, so the, the they actually signed and, and it was approved by the Senate. So it, nobody can change it anymore. So now they have to keep going, which is great. And what they're going to do is based on Brazil overall targets for reduction, they're going to sign each amount per industry. Of course, agriculture is one of the biggest ones, but there is also energy, transportation, and it's and metals and mining, if I'm not mistaken. And then they're going to assign targets at the company level. So each company is going to have their own targets as well, at least the biggest players. Uh, what is happening right now is that the companies that are reporting under their own emissions and they are doing a bottom-up analysis, the numbers not matching with the top-down. So they are having a, a, a big accounting problem with, okay, so how how we're gonna how we're gonna harmonize these calculations now that we need actual policies to be in place and they have been doing this bottom up for a long time how now we do this top down and make sure that these numbers are accurate so this is gonna take the market to the next level of accuracy and of um reporting and of you know uh, accounting and auditing and i think this is very important if we want to continue to use scientific based methods for all of this um yeah i i, I know i just through another problem out there, but um, this is something that we are facing right now. And, and this is why companies should care so much about accuracy. Also because, to be fair, if they continue to, um, to use estimation methods, which is, so for example, you can just get your spend base um, spreadsheet. So how much you're spending on certain things and you can uh, throw an emissions factors in there, multiply by an emissions factors and get a, a number. This is the least accurate method of calculating emissions. A lot of companies are doing this this way, which is the worst way of doing it. They can have at least, or I would say over 90% margins of error. And if they, then with that number, they are reporting that number as their main emissions, um, their main total emissions for whatever scope that they are using for. Um, and then they compensate those emissions uh, based on that number that they are getting. It means that they are paying for 90% more than they should in terms of carbon credit. So they're also wasting money. Um, so I, I think they they should be they should care much more about the accuracy and we need to to be much more mindful around all of these calculations because yeah if you don't care about them if you're just gonna throw a number out there you're gonna have you're gonna face a lot of accounting issues very soon. <laughs> So when you look at all of those sectors of the of the economy, do you see uh, some of them that are extremely hard and difficult to deploy accurate uh, decarbonization solution that can really take into account the real emission? And as you mentioned, like this example, I mean, and, and I would say like and contribute to build a clear path supporting effectively uh, the fight against climate change. Do you see really like specific place where uh, you know, based on your uh, experience where it's really difficult to apply all of that? To be fair, we are so behind that I think the biggest challenge right now is just having the, the money to invest. There are so many technologies that could be applied tomorrow and that are not yet because of uh, lack of information, lack of data, lack of knowledge. Um, I don't see anything, any industry, and we have customers in 20 plus industries across 60 plus countries. I haven't come 
over any company having like a technological issue of implementing anything that would make them reduce all of the issues that they have right now is financing. Okay. So to close, to close this, uh, this section uh, before jumping into the into uh, Sinai, uh, as everyone has knows, and you mentioned that a little bit uh, prior the, uh, of the interview, um, you know, there's always this uh, controversy around like uh, carbon offset solution. And I know that uh, offsetting can, you know, pricing carbon uh, and offsetting the, the remaining is part of the value chain of, uh, of the company. So according to you, what is the real impact uh, that carbon offset could have on, on slowing down uh, climate change? Is it something necessary and achievable or is it more like a buzz greenwashing tool that uh, in a way big emitters uh, can leverage to still emit and not really perform the necessary change to decarbonize the infra infrastructures? I mean, what needs to change? <laughs> Yeah, I guess this is this is back to my point of what I was saying before. I think I think it's fine. I think the only moment that carbon credits offsets removals play an important role is when they are being used for the remaining emissions. And when I mean about remaining, it means the company is reducing and there are some leftovers that they cannot reduce. So they ach either achieved a limit of reduction in that year um, or or that that's that's everything that they can do about it they cannot do anything anymore so i, I think i think it's fine and and carbon credits and offsets are are actually associated with great projects that that should be implemented no matter what i do have a, a criticism against additionality i don't think that they should that should exist anymore but that's a separate conversation um but i think we just they just need to be careful on how to position and and be very transparent about their claims because they might get into a trap exactly like the one you're saying maybe you know on oil and gets companies going to claim that they are compensating for everything and not really transitioning but at the end if I, an oil and gas company doesn't change completely their business they're not going to transition and they know about that and 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 you know it's <laughs> that that that's the hardest conversations that they, they they need to start considering so let's go deeper into uh sanai tech uh, technology i mean what is the the story behind it and you already uh, spoke a little bit about that uh during your time at uh, singularity university program i mean who is it for what's the gap which gap did you identify uh you know initially that led to the current version of uh, sanai i mean why did sanai technology have to exist in a way <laughs> uh, well, I guess if we want to keep planet Earth, I think Sinai needs to exist uh, together with many other, to be honest, I don't think we're going to do it alone. Um, we need, I, it, it's, a, it's a systems problem, right? We need changing in many parts of society. Um, but if we don't bring the information, the data that is needed to start making those decisions and moving the needle, I don't think there will be humanity to tell anybody to tell the story in the future. So um, uh, this is this is the most important problem everybody should be thinking about. And if you're not worried, I mean, I don't know which world you're living, but uh, that's just my opinion. <laughs> So what was the, the initial gap that you uh, that you identified? I mean, you mentioned that uh, you wanted to uh, sell, I mean, sell the product and the platform to, uh, you know, uh, entities like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, states or governments or like uh, administration. And you realized that uh, maybe it was better and more efficient to go on the corporate side. What was this initial gap that really was the, the fundamental uh, yeah. moment uh, to start a company? And then we'll go yeah. into the process and the, how the product site works and everything. But uh, let's start yeah. with... Uh... So, so at, at the beginning, I, I, I think I had this... Um, I, I just started, because I'm a very systems thinker. I just started with the broader picture thinking, I want to live in a sustainable city. I want to live in a sustainable environment. And I think this needs to be connected uh, across the board. So I thought that the problem was uh, approaching its cities and governments. But 
but you know, it, cities and governments were created by humans, and therefore we have so much bureaucracy and complexity and 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 problems in in the system itself that it would be it would make the business very unviable. I mean, I do recognize that there are many other startups trying to disrupt the gov gov tech, um, but it's tough. It's it's really hard, especially because governments in developing countries like mine are absurdly corrupted and they don't care. You know, they, they, they don't care. They, they are, we are electing people that don't care about people, but that's a separate conversation. I'm not going to get in there. Um, I will say though, that after looking at where majority of emissions come from, and 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 where is the biggest impact that I could make? I realized it was on the carbon intensive sectors, meaning the, the, the biggest polluters in the world are companies that are in the in in those sectors that I've mentioned before, uh, oil and gas, chemicals, electronics, metals and mining, food and beverage, um components, utilities, transportation, etc. So those are the biggest polluters in the world and they have zero solutions for them right now. And or the solutions that they have are basically the the top five accounting firms in the world doing consultancy that is not taking them anywhere. Uh, because after the consultants deliver a report, uh, it's already outdated. So the reports that are being delivered right now are already outdated tomorrow. The companies don't know what to do with those reports, those aesthetic reports that don't take them anywhere, don't make them think or don't make them act. Um, so I saw this huge opportunity of, you know, helping the most relevant sectors in society to change and and to do this through technology and through software and, and in a much more efficient and cheaper way. Um, this is how it all started, basically. So on the product side, uh, if you could walk us through the, the process, like how does it work? Help us to visualize that a little bit. I mean, what type of emission do you have to calculate? How long does it take to get on board? Uh, you know, which type of reporting do you produce? Like. Explain us a bit, like, uh, you know, for the, the audience here, Safe like the, the value chain, uh, the <laughs> value chain of uh, Sinai and, yeah. uh, you know, help us to understand your secret sauce. Okay. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so the system is broken down into five different modules. These modules are, a they basically tell a story of a decarbonization journey. So we, we take customers on this journey. We help them to to take the first steps and to take the 100 steps after those, uh, which means looking back into the past so they can predict the future, right? And, and understand where are they going to be and define assumptions and premises for their businesses. So um, looking, the first module that we have is the inventories, which is the carbon inventories, which is jargon for carbon accounting. Um, but it's basically, yes, so I need to understand where I am and where I've been so I can understand and plan for the future. This module is really basic accounting. We have many different features in those in that module specifically, but um, essentially what it does is it looks at the past and the present and give them a number of all their scopes, one, two, and three, um, with multiple methodologies and, and many other ways of doing it. I'm not gonna get into too many details, but it gives them a number of where they are and where they have been in the past. So this is basically data that they cannot change. It already happened. They have to swallow it and think about the future. That's that's how it works. Um, then the we have three modules after this one that are basically future looking and it helped them to understand what are all the different pathways that the company can take and how much each one of these pathways are going to um, allow the company to reduce or not and how much is it going to cost. And this is technically what we call climate scenario analysis. So they can analyze multiple scenarios. 
and and define which one is the most cost beneficial one and target for that one but change if any if there are any internal and or external changes to the business and this is why it's so important to define premises and track just like we do for financials which is which is exactly the same kind of thinking so the business as usual is the first module that we help them to project um it's basically if they don't change anything in the business how the business is going to keep growing and emitting so we allow them to model different policies and regulations and also different business growth assumptions in that module because both are connected right so for example if the us is going to become 100 percent renewable in the next 10 years how this impacts my energy consumption how this impacts my my allocation towards energy efficiency etc um so this is business as usual module the the third module that we have which is our secret sauce and biggest differentiator is the low carbon scenarios so now that i define my baseline which is created from your business as usual trajectory what are the technologies that i can implement to replace those sources of emissions and how much those technologies are going to cost me because changing lead bulbs is going to be completely different than implementing uh, solar uh, panels and it's going to be completely different than building a hydropower plant what is the most cost beneficial one what should i be focused on the short or the long term how much capex do i need to invest what is the opex is it going to generate revenue do carbon taxes influence on my analysis so all of those questions we help them to get answer through the system and we help them to manage basically different projects and so, then yeah no good i was just wondering like how much like uh, automation versus uh, you know human intervention uh, goes into that uh, that process and how replicable or how in a way, yeah. I would say to use the, the, the tech term scalable, uh, your operation are because it sounds that, you know, based on industries and sectors and and there's uh, probably a lot of like, uh, you know, data systems that you need to go and grab data. We'll cover a little bit that after. So how, how does uh, does it go? Uh, does it work? And please uh, keep going because yeah. I, I, I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but uh, no, I was no boiling problem. on the question. <laughs> <laughs> that That's fine of course um so we have databases and we have the system has decision trees right so if that just like we have databases for specific emissions factors on the inventory side and we recommend specific emissions factors to be used uh, on certain industries and locations we have the same for the policies and regulation scenarios and we have the same for um, the technological roadmaps and the technologies that can be implemented so we have a database with thousands of solutions that our customers can um, benefit from um, and the same for the policies and regulations so that are some automation in that regard but um, the plan is to of course to be much more intelligent and to continue to build databases and uh, include learning algorithms that are gonna make the system much more intelligent and, and efficient uh, as we grow the databases and and the outreach so right now that, that that is some sort of automation um there is some some manual work uh, but the goal is to continue to to improve on the automation side if that makes sense yeah for sure in in, in terms of capturing the data like uh i mean you you mentioned that uh you use different uh you know science-based uh, models and to really like assess the, the the quality of the of the data that you extract in terms of calculation of the of the past and the, and the present in terms of uh, of emission um i mean how uh, in a scale of like one to ten how accurate do you think uh, the data are uh, that you're able to uh, you know pull out today um and how often do you you know refresh them and in in you know double check that uh, what for the business and for the type of technology that is uh, in place or the type of operation what you guys are able to pull out uh, still makes sense if you know what i mean yeah no totally um it, it it so 
we allow them to do project management in the system and and the data gets more accurate as they refine it so we are collecting sector-based data for, that is public available and that sector it, it's basically kind of like so let me give you an example so let's say i want to implement energy efficiency in my house um but i i'm i'm not yet formed on the best solution. So I'm going to look for LED bulbs. I'm going to look for implementing solar panels, maybe an, a, a wind turbine, maybe geothermal. So that are all these different solutions that I can implement. Um, I'm going to look for roughly how much does it cost to implement each one of the solutions in the US and how much they are going to bring me in terms of environmental benefits. Um, and then when I select one solution to go or maybe two, then I need to understand how much is really going to cost for the size of my house in San Francisco and how much is it really going to bring me in benefits. So this is project management. We allow our customers to do that. So to model from a sector based data up to all the way up to implementation, which moves from like 50% margins of error all the way to 5% margins of error because they are really allocating capital. And if they don't have precise numbers, nobody's going to do it. Um, and yeah, so that that's roughly how it works. It depends, depending on the company, they have their internal teams to do this or they hire consultants uh, or we help them with our own teams. Um, but like I said, we already have uh, ways of automating a little bit of this process and we are implementing more efficient ways to, to get to more precise data. So based on the, the current data sets uh, that you have, do you see any data points uh, where your, your current customers are able to quickly uh, create an impact and, and somewhere it takes, uh, where it takes longer? Do you uh, already see some, uh, some trends maybe that you could share with us? Uh, I mean, for each industry and, and again, depending on the company, it's, uh, it's always going to vary, right? Cause maybe even a company, in the same industry, they might have completely different strategies on how they want to invest. So it really varies. I think what I can share is that our platform has tracked over 35 million tons of carbon emissions for our customers. This is, I think last time I counted, it was 0.07% of the world's total emissions. Uh, it's not much, but it, you know, it's, it, it's relevant. Um, and, and this is based on our customer base essentially. And, but I think what is the most interesting piece is that our system has modeled more than $5 billion of potential capital expenditures for carbon mitigation. So, um, these companies are bringing a lot modeling, a lot of different solutions that are going to need a lot of CapEx. And, and I think this is a huge, and this is the part that I, I go back to what, which is the biggest bottleneck because they need to access capital in much better terms to be able to deploy those technologies. Um, and I think there is a big, um, opportunity for the financial sector to create better financing mechanisms that are going to be attached to emissions reductions. So we've seen some examples like, um, a bank in Brazil that just recently uh, issued uh, a debenture that is this, it's related to reducing um, uh, interest rates for the 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 lender, and in in exchange of the lender achieving reduction targets yearly. Uh, there, there's also, of course, green bonds. These are things that we have seen that had scale a lot in the past years. But I think there are huge opportunities, much more than just this very few examples that the financial sector can start implementing for those companies to continue to invest in low carbon technologies. So I think I would say these roughly are the biggest uh, bottlenecks that I see. And it's not really about the technology itself. So what are the, the current and expected uh, economics of uh, Sinai Tech? I mean, what's your business model? And maybe if you can share with us a little bit your future projection. I mean, uh, what's the, the, the size of the, the market here? 
Um, I think I see the climate carbon industry very similarly to the cyber cybersecurity industry. I'm not an expert in cybersecurity, and this is just you know me trying to understand a little bit how to compare this. But I think um, that it's similar. It shows like a lot of similarities. When cybersecurity started, a lot of companies were not sure if they needed to implement that or not. What what is a cyber attack? And then a lot of companies started started to be attacked. They lost assets. They had a lot of liabilities and they really uh, and they actually just started doing a lot because there was so much regulation that came in place. And, and now every single company in the world has to think about cybersecurity and how they're going to protect their data and their, and, 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 you know, how they're going to comply with regulations. Cause there are a bunch coming in all the time and this market all of a sudden boom, exploded and there's all these different solutions helping you know with companies to, to protect their data and their information um i think the climate tech industry and and carbon in particular is similar uh, i do, i think we are now at a point that companies don't know exactly what they need to do some of them are wor worried others are not so much the ones that are taking the first steps are definitely going to be better prepared for what's coming in the future but this is gonna be mandatory for every single company in the world. I don't see any place that a, a company doesn't know how much they emit and they are not reporting and tracking their their impact. So uh, it's what I mean by that is it's gonna it's a huge market. It's a blue ocean, if I might say, uh, because it's one of the last huge markets that we can go after um and i think it's gonna be mandatory for everyone so i yeah i i don't i i don't know i i don't know if if i can put a number on it like this but uh, i would say trillions uh of dollars and what was your other question just about uh, a little bit about the, the business model and the, the current mm. economics of uh, of sinai yeah, we are a SaaS platform, so we just we charge a license fee, annual license fee, um, just like any other SaaS, uh, and they can access the system according to the functionalities that they want, and and that's how it works. But our focus right now is enterprise, so medium to bigger companies. So it really depends on the types of assets that they own. That's gonna interfere on the pricing, um, and yeah. That's how it works. Couple of more questions uh, on my side for this first part of the uh, the interview. Maybe if you can just tell us a bit more about uh, you know the what we call the, the competition today. Even though it sounds that uh, in the climate tech space we're more like in a collaboration, but there's still some uh, you know competition. So in the EU, in the US, I mean, why you guys are different or maybe better? How do you compare uh, your solution to other solution available uh, in this more crowded market than five years ago for sure? <laughs> Yes, I think last time I counted, there were 200 new companies in the U.S. alone. I mean, there's everybody's trying to to now figure it out or to try to take advantage of it, which is fine. I think it's it shows that it is a big opportunity and they see it, but there's no company. And, and these 200 new companies are just on the carbon accounting side of it. And to be fair, I don't think they have any big differentiator they are just maybe a little cheaper a little bit i don't know a little better in something that i don't even know our biggest differentiator is what happens after the accounting and there is nobody doing this uh right now which means how do you take action how do i allocate capital how do i actually reduce how do i take the next 100 steps and how do i continue to do this 10 years from today because all of these targets are 10 20 they shouldn't be more than 20, but some of them are. So they need to figure it out how to do this year by year. This, they are not going to reduce everything that they need to reduce next year. So it's a continual progress. And, and this is our biggest differentiator to track and measure progress and, and allow to deploy capital and transition and, and really transition from what they are doing to where they need to do. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
So what's next for Cyanide Tech and uh, what needs to happen to reach that, uh, that next step? Um, I, well, I guess it, we are in an early market, like I said, so it will be amazing to see how this um, knowledge progress and how these companies um, continue to progress and learn. And honestly, I mean, regulations are always great. So if the, the more regulations, the better, right? For us, at least, um, it, it, it creates the urgency that certain countries don't have and others do. But I, I would say U.S. is just waiting to regulations to come in place, um, and which I think is great. And um, and I guess I would say if I if I if I really could change something, it would be knowledge. It would be like giving the market the knowledge that they need to understand how to do all of this stuff. They would be, you know, as if they had the knowledge, they would be asking the right questions. They would be looking for the right solutions. They would be thinking um, in the longer term. And I think right now it's just too messy and, and they are learning. So it's tough to... Um, sometimes to 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 find the right pathway and they're going to make mistakes and they're ha going to have to come back and change it and i think the biggest concern here is time is how much time do we still have left to continue to make mistakes so that's a perfect segue for my uh, last question for you what's your personal opinion on the climate crisis i mean what would be your words to people who are like you know afraid of all the visible consequences that we have uh, you know everywhere in the world today we can uh, speak about that i mean are we doomed yeah. uh you know what would you tell them yeah so i i don't like to lead by fear this is not my style um, I would like to lead by opportunities and 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 by uh, optimistic perspectives. I think we, even though we haven't moved as fast as needed, I think we can still change many things, and we can, you know, change one of our humanities pathways and realities because humanities have their own as well, right? What are the different scenarios that humanity is going to face if? depending on the decisions we're making today. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, and I'm, I really like to lead with a more op optimistic perspective, meaning do whatever you can today. Don't leave it for tomorrow. Hire people today, change your job today. Um, go buy from companies that are doing this today. Learn everything today that you need to, to continue to, um, to make this to move forward. So, yeah, I guess, you know, I imagine you have many different audiences listening to, to this. So I would just tell them to don't leave it for tomorrow and and learn uh, everything that you can about climate, about carbon, about asking your local regulators, about um, trying to put, to, to elect people that are actually going to make a difference. And, um, and to yeah, I I think those are the things that people should be concerned about, I guess. So how can the listener of the show, expert, investors, founders uh, can help you today? <laughs> um, I think being part of the conversations, being part of the debates and 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 being active in the community and um, and yeah, and, and bringing these questions to whoever they need to bring. So if they know any CEOs or any leadership, people that are leading the ways, people that are, ask them those questions and, and put them to think. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think this is us helping the market to grow faster and to share knowledge much faster. And, um, and of course, we are hiring a bunch of positions. So if, you, if you're interested in any, just reach out. Um, I, will, I can guide you on whoever is leading the, the hiring process, but we're opening it up many more positions very soon. Uh, so I would encourage anybody to, again, to, to learn more and to continue to make hard questions to everybody, to companies and government and, and your peers. Any question that I did not ask you that I should have during this uh, first part of the interview? Uh, 
Oh, you ask great questions. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you so much, uh, Maria, for your time, your incredible insights, uh, all the hard work that you do uh, towards a better and cleaner world. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and sharing your uh, very uh, you know, inspiring story and uh, all the super exciting knowledge that you share with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.